Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, we are wrapping up our Unlikely Heroes series, and uh, one of the people we've, been, people we've been looking at more recently are some of the women in the scriptures, and that's one that we're going to look at today. A woman by the name of Abigail, and we find her story back in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 25. Now, before we read a portion of that, I'm just going to tell you the story because it's kind of a lengthy chapter. And before I tell you the story, just let me acknowledge a couple of things. The Bible throughout the scripture over and over again speaks of words like enduring, persevering, trusting God in the midst of the challenges, um, working through some of those difficult work environments. The Bible talks about that a lot. And, and, it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that when we become a Christian, therefore, that life is going to get easier. And sometimes those difficulties are what we're going to call difficult living with difficult people. Sometimes those difficult people may be people at work. They may be people in our home. They may be people that we're married to. And so Abigail instructs us in how we grow and, and uh, become more like Jesus in the face of living with difficult people. Now, here's the story in a sense. Abigail is married to a man by the name of Nabal. Now, Nabal is known in the Bible as a harsh man who behaves badly, okay? Now, how would you like that for, uh, for someone to describe you? This is a man who behaves badly, all right? There is no expression, however, in spite of his harshness and the way that he treats David and his sullen anger, there is no expression in the scripture that he was physically abusive to his wife. And that's an important discussion because... Um, When we start to talk about living with difficult people, and before I even read the scripture, I want to draw a distinction between living with someone who's difficult, sullenly angry, frustrating all the time, and living with someone who is abusive. The scripture gives you, if you come from an abusive situation, the scripture gives you certain umbrellas of protection. And, and I don't want to get that confused with the story of Nabal. So let me just give you some of those. In Romans chapter 13, it says, the government does not bear the sword in vain. This scripture gives you, God has protected you with governing authorities in, in an abusive situation. And we always encourage people to pursue that avenue when a situation is abusive. In Matthew 18, it also gives the church as an umbrella of protection. And so again, you can see these umbrellas of protection. If you're living in an abusive relationship, it's not my goal for you this morning to say, okay, Pastor Phil told me I, I, I don't have any, I can't do anything but endure, okay? However, I want to draw a distinction between that and someone who is difficult to be with. Okay. Um, by the way, um, how many of you know, without, without pointing to them, okay, how many of you know someone who is difficult to be with? Can I see your hands? Okay, okay for just a moment, put them down. Here, here's the next question. How many of you from time to time have been difficult to be with? Can I see your hands? Okay, there you go. I think there's actually more hands that went up there than the other time. Okay. The point is this. We have to live and endure during difficulty. And Abigail is going to teach us some things about how to do that. Now, here's the story. She has a difficult husband. He's harsh. Sometimes he behaves badly. Um, he is also very, very wealthy in the scripture. And David, who is running from King Saul at the time, because King Saul is attempting to kill him, David, who is running, is, has several hundred men with him, and they're kind of moving around through the wilderness. They come upon Nabal's uh, 
uh, shepherds, and they're shepherding some thousands and thousands of sheep, 3,000 sheep, I think, and 1,000 goats. And and uh, they basically protect them for a window of time. And you can appreciate that, like um, that there'd be a group of soldiers around them protecting. When it comes to the shearing time, which happens twice a year, and that's kind of like a festive time, the sheep, the shepherds move the sheep back to where the shearers are, and the shearers begin uh, shearing the sheep. And when they're doing that, in that process, um, it's kind of a festive time. David, uh, David sends some of his young men to say, hey, listen, we were protecting you, taking care of you. Um, how about if you share a little bit of the dinner with us? Okay. And Nepal gives a very definitive answer. You'll see in a moment. He's a harsh man, and he, and he gives a selfish answer, and he says no. And he criticizes David in the process. David says, listen, uh, we're out here with our swords on. We took care of this man. Let's just go ahead and destroy him. Okay. Now, for just a moment, understand this. That's, that's not authorized. That's not okay. okay. And this is where Abigail, Nepal's wife, steps in and comes and speaks with David and in this uh, wonderful, gracious, winsome way, wins the day, David decides not to destroy. Her husband dies shortly thereafter, and David will marry her after that. Okay? So that's the rest of the story. But I want to give you that as we set up our reading this morning, and then we'll unpack certain qualities for how we live with difficult people. Will you stand with me as we read the word together out of respect for God's holy word? Begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'm just going to read the end of this portion in our scripture reading this morning. And this is David's response after Abigail has talked him out of uh, killing uh, Nabal and those who are around him. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me. Truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. And then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was very drunk. And so she told him nothing at all until the morning light. And in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. You may be seated. Let me give you just three things. Doing life, what we're going to entitle doing life with difficult people, okay? And since you've already confessed to the beginning of this, at the beginning of this lesson, that you can be a difficult person at times, there should be some degree of grace, okay, and how we look at that. Doing life with difficult people from Abigail's life entails at least three things. Determine your value, pursue the right action, and show grace, okay? Now, here's how I want you to determine your value. We determine our value from God's, you determine your value from God's investment in you, not what others think of you. Okay? You determine your value from God's investment in you, not what others think of you. And I'm going to come full circle back to this at the end of our lesson this morning, but I just want to unpack that in your life. 
Um, most of those who engage in any kind of social media or, or, or basically the world's way of expressing things when you read, things are going to say, listen, if you are bullied, if you can't find value in yourself, you need to think better about yourself. Okay? That's not the Bible approach. Okay? The Bible approach is not that we feel more valuable about ourselves and therefore feel more valuable. It's that we recognize that God invested in us, and that's what makes us valuable. God's investment in us, not in our self-worth in some way. And I'll just give you three of those real quickly, and then we'll wrap them up with those so you'll know I'm at the end of the lesson when we get there. Here's the three, real quickly. God invested in you by sending his son to die on the cross for you. Nothing is more valuable than the father-son relationship. And yet God... Scripture teaches, gave his only son to die in your place. Salvation for you and me is only possible because of what Christ did. God, we find our value in God's investment in us, not simply in the fact that we feel better about it. The second way that God demonstrates his investment in you is through his giftedness of you. Uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians uh, 4, and 1 Peter 4 all talk about spiritual gifts. And, and 1 Corinthians 12 unpacks those in a really unique way. It looks at the body and it says, listen, can the hand say to the feet, I don't need you? Can the eye say to the nose, I don't need you? Can parts of the body speak to other parts of the body and say, I'd rather do this on my own? See, No, the body works because every part of the body was uniquely developed to do something that the other parts can't do. And that's precisely the point. God brings us salvation, therefore there's value there. God brings us not only salvation, but gifts us. And then I would remind you, that God has placed you at a specific time and place in history engaged with other relationships that nobody else has had throughout history and they won't have in the future. You are uniquely positioned in time. And, and, and I think we see that in Galatians chapter 4. For there we read, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God works, even though he's outside of time, within our time, and he places you and I in time in unique ways. So therefore, you are, God has invested in you significantly, and that's where we find our value. Now, let me unpack that by comparing two people, her husband and Abigail, and we're going to do that together. Okay, so take a look with me at, back in, in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Okay. We're going to note these things in the text. We note that her husband, that is Nabal, was harsh But Abigail was wise. Just see it in the text. Here we go. The woman, verse 3, this is Abigail, was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved, and he was a Calebite. And I'll come back to that in a second. Um, Notice what we read of him. He was harsh. In fact, the, the word harsh, the Hebrew word for harsh, speaks of kind of like a heavy yoke that is placed upon someone. And when that yoke is placed, it's placed upon the oxen because the oxen was stubborn, okay? There's this idea of stubbornness with the harshness too, that, that often people who are harsh or angry all the time are usually not flexible. They don't want to give up what they've got, what they think they're going to do. And so there's a harshness to that. There's a, there's a stubbornness to that. And that's who he was. But notice this about Abigail. The text says she was discerning. And uh, it's a great word here. Um, it speaks of the idea of wisdom. She, she was exercising wisdom. She could actually see what was about to happen, even though she didn't have all the facts. And that's why she gets engage, engaged in reaching out to David right away. She will hear in the story 
of how her husband rebuffed the, the, the 10 young men that David had sent, said, hey, we watched over you guys in the wilderness. Is it possible for us to get some dinner? And she hears back from the servant, but she doesn't know what David's planning. But she's able to say, probably because she'd seen it before, this is what my husband does. This is what's about to happen. I have to step in. Okay? She's exercising wisdom. And the word wisdom is a combination, this word discerning in the Bible is a combination of two words. You ready for this? Intelligence and the word good, okay? Good intelligence, okay? Now, for just a moment, let me give you a distinction between Hebrew and Greek thought here, okay? So the, the Greeks basically said if you know something, the, the facts are knowledge. And the more facts you have, the more knowledge you have. That's not how the Hebrews thought about it. That's why when you read wisdom literature, you read it's not simply that you have the knowledge and facts, but you actually know how to apply those facts, right? So it's great that you can write the equation, the math equation on paper with a lot of letters and parentheses and stuff, okay? But the Hebrews would say, can you actually replicate that in the wood shop, right? Can you figure out how to do the angles and stuff when you're building the trusses in the wood shop? That's what wisdom looks like. It's, It's a practical knowledge. And that's exactly what we see here in Abigail. She demonstrates wisdom. Here's the second idea. He was badly behaved, but the scripture says she was beautiful. In fact, we find that here. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. Now, if you were to read that, uh, you would probably say something like, he definitely married up. And you're right, he did. In fact... uh, The Life Application Study Bible kind of communicates um, that idea. It says, some men don't deserve their wives. Now, for just a moment, can I hear the men say amen to that? Okay, can I hear the women say amen to that? Okay, listen, the men actually, more men agreed, okay? More men actually said amen than the women did, all right? That's a good sign, guys. Uh, That's a really good sign. Okay, the point is this, that many men don't deserve their wives, the Life Application Bible writes, And not only that, Nabal took his wife for granted, is what they say. There actually is this, she's discerning and beautiful, he's harsh and badly behaved. Um, Let me just unpack those words for you as well. Um, There's this really fascinating element. Remember the text says he was a Calebite? Now, in a couple weeks, um, one of our elders, Tim Burr, is going to talk to you about who Caleb was, okay? But Caleb was this older gentleman who you may remember when he came into the promised land, he and and Joshua came into the promised land. He said, I was one of the spies, the good spies. That's why I can come into the promised land. And I want the highest mountain. I want that right now. And here's this guy who's up in age who isn't afraid to take the mountain. What's fascinating is that the geography will tell you that Nabal is, is in the location where Caleb had taken his property, which means he basically inherited his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather's property. Okay? But he didn't inherit his character. Right? And it's a really important distinction that we can have things from our parents, but what we really want from our parents providing their character was what it should be, is we want the inheritance of their character. See, He didn't have that. He was badly behaved. And we read of her, she was beautiful. And I just want to remind you what the Scriptures teach on this matter The scripture teaches that beauty is more often found in the way we treat others than simply our appearance. Um, 
just uh, for a moment, keep a finger here and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 for just a moment. One of the things I do as pastor, as a pastor is I often do weddings, and I did one last weekend. And again, I'm always reminded that on weddings you see this beautiful couple. They, they look probably better than they're ever going to look, okay? Um, I don't tell them that on that day, okay, but that's the case, right? Uh, if I'm going to do your wedding, uh, I'm just telling you that in advance, okay? That's the best you're going to look, right? But that's not what makes the wedding beautiful. It isn't the flowers that make the wedding beautiful. It isn't the appearance of the people that make it beautiful. All that's just kind of like, it's just kind of like window dressing. Okay? Here's what makes the wedding beautiful. Love is patient and kind, but does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. In fact, if I were to say, give me the best example of love throughout all of history, you'd probably have to say Christ on the cross. He was despised and rejected by men. Isaiah 53 prophesied, and we looked upon him not as one who had outward beauty. And yet, that is the most beautiful. Um, there's also another way that Christians should think about this. And I just, just want to push pause and talk about beauty for a second. Um, for, throughout history, Christians have said, listen, there are three things that are so tightly connected that you can't separate one and still have the other. And those three things are what is beautiful, what is truthful, and what is good. Beauty, truth, and goodness. Our world separates those. Um, The moment it airbrushes a model's face on the front of the magazine, what you're looking at is not true. It appears beautiful, it separates those. The moment you read of an actress or an actor that you think is attractive or whatever physically, but they are not practicing goodness, they are not honoring God in what they do, the moment you've separated those three, they don't make sense any other way. And I love the way Al Mohler talks about it. He says, listen, that means that the Down syndrome child is more beautiful than the airbrush model on the magazine. Why? Because what you're looking at in the magazine isn't true, but what you're looking at in the Down syndrome child is both true and good. So this is just this great reminder. When the Bible calls her beautiful, she probably was physically beautiful. But the Bible also uses this word to communicate that how we respond to one another is more important than our physical appearance. A couple other comparisons. Here they are. Nabal was ungrateful, and Abigail was gracious. He was ungrateful, but she was gracious. In fact, if we're back in um, 1 Samuel 25 for a moment, uh, just notice this. Um, notice how he responds. Okay, now I'm jumping into the story again. David says to the ten men and says, listen, go tell him. This is David's message to Nabal. I hear that you have shears. No, Now, your shepherds have been with us, and we did not do them harm, and they missed nothing at all during the time they were in Carmel. While they moved the sheep, we were with them, right? Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Ask the shepherds, they'll tell you. 
Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. We're going to visit you. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. And we took care of you. We didn't charge anything. So consider us, right? When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. Okay. And this was the answer they got. And Nabal answered David's servant, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Okay. That's all he says. I'm not going to serve you. But he does it, not only not does he do it, he does it with, with kind of a demeaning spirit. Um, the, the study Bibles reference the fact that, remember, David is already anointed as king, even though he hasn't taken that position yet. And re- remember, when David killed Goliath, the song that went out was, uh, listen, um, Saul has, clean, has slain his thousands, but David slain 10,000. David was well known in, throughout the entire country. This statement saying, never heard of him. Who is this kid? Okay. That kind of statement is, is as, as one study Bible said it, probably just simply a way of saying, I am unwilling to give him anything, so I'm going to deny that I know anything about him. Okay. Let, me describe, let me define for you ungratefulness in this way. Okay. Ungrateful is not recognizing or acknowledging when something by someone has been done on your behalf. That's it. Not recognizing or acknowledging when something by someone has been done on your behalf. Um, Notice the use of words. Uh, Sometimes we don't see it. That means we're not attentive to the fact that someone did something for us. Sometimes we might see it, but we don't acknowledge it. Um, We never tell them. We never express a, a spirit of gratitude. We we demand something as opposed to acknowledge that they did something. And notice that it isn't just something, but it's something by someone. There has to be a recognition. There has to be acknowledgement. It's something that is done for you, and it's done by someone, and it's done on your behalf. What David and his soldiers did for Nabal was protect his shepherds and his investment, and he refuses to acknowledge it. Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Never heard of him. Okay. That's the approach. To the contrary, look at how she is gracious. When she, when she hears what happened, the ball's in her home, she loads up all this food and she takes it out to meet David. Um, verse 18, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on the donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband to ball. Yeah, because he'd have told her no. Okay, here's the point. Um, she is gracious. What you'll see in a moment is Nabal's going to cry out three things he's not going to give. He said, listen, I'm not going to give him bread, I'm not going to give him my water, and I'm not going to give him my meat. And look what she does. 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, not simply water, and five sheep already prepared, five sheep that had already been butchered, she sends out to David. So we see again this ungrateful versus a gracious spirit. Here's the last one, selfish versus humble. Selfish versus humble. So when you look at Nabal, you see harsh, badly behaved, ungrateful, selfish. When you look at Abigail, you see wise, beautiful, gracious, humble. Just let me show you um, selfishness. Here it is, verse 11. 
Nabal answers, Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from where I, from where I do not know? Okay? He basically says, listen, um, you can see it in the text, right? I, my, 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 I, my, I. Okay? This is a man who is consumed with himself. By the way, if those pronouns show up in your language, okay, um, there's a good chance that you ought to at least push pause and say, maybe I'm a little too consumed with myself. I have a friend of mine who teaches counseling down in Houston. You may have heard me tell this story before. And he, his first assignment for his students when he's teaching counseling is to say, you have to go 24 hours without talking about yourself. You can't use the word I, you can't use the word my, so you're basically going to go, they say, well, how am I going to do that? You're allowed to talk about yourself if someone asks you a question, but you can't talk about yourself if you would ever ask a question. Okay. And he said, two things happen. They first come back saying, I did not realize how much I talked about myself. And the second thing is, they come back saying, man, I learned a lot about a lot of other people, which makes me realize I'm usually talking about myself. Right. Here's the point. I, my, my, I, my, 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 I. That's a reminder of how selfish Nabal actually is. But to the contrary, she was humble. And you find that in 1 Samuel chapter 25. For there we read, Abigail saw David. She hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Humility finds itself when we are not defensive. You say, wait a minute, Phil. How is she taking responsibility? Okay. She shouldn't be taking responsibility for her husband's bad actions. And I think you get a little bit of a window into what this marriage relationship was like. Um, it's not the first time she's tried to get her husband out of trouble. And it's not the first time he treated other people harshly. And so she has had a pattern of when she has been knowledgeable of getting engaged just like she is here. She doesn't come up with this having never done it before. Right? And... and uh, and so you again see that where she could take responsibility, she took responsibility. But it wasn't a responsibility she didn't take. So determine your value from God's investment in you, not what others think of you. And I just want to point out again that everything on the Abigail side, wise, beautiful, gracious, humble, those are things that God had created and done in her, right? Everything on the husband's side, harsh, badly behaved, ungrateful, selfish, those are things he did on his own, okay? God had invested in her And therefore, she didn't find her value based upon how her husband responded to her. She found her value in the fact that God had invested in her. There's two more ideas, and we're going to go through them kind of quickly here. Here they are. Pursue the right action on God's timetable and not one of convenience. Once you know what is the right action to do, you should do it um, on God's timetable, not your convenience. Living, Doing life with difficult people, when you and I are trying to do life with difficult people... We can have a tendency to not necessarily engage as promptly as we should because we know it's going to be difficult. That's not her approach. In fact, just let me show you how urgent she addresses it. Then Abigail made haste and she put together all of this food and took it, right? But not only that, notice this. When she seized David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David. She made haste and she hurried. Once she knew the right action to do, she didn't put it off. She immediately got engaged. Mason Cooley gives me one of my favorite quotes on procrastination ever. Procrastination makes easy things hard and hard things harder. If you are a 
a college student or a high school student and your semester is wrapping up, okay, if you procrastinated on things and the easy things that you could have done at the beginning of the semester, now you have to do at the end of the semester all those projects while you're actually studying for your final exams. You know what it means to make easy things hard, right? And guess what? The final exams, the hard things just got harder, right? But that's a principle for all of us to learn, not just students, When we know what is the right thing to do, there there should be an urgency to that thing. This is what Abigail teaches us. Once she knew what to do, she did it quickly. She didn't hesitate. She didn't. And and where there's difficulty or conflict, it's easy to push that off for many of us. Don't. Okay. Um, Here's your principle. Pursue the right action on God's timetable, not one of convenience. Do not wait till it is convenient to get involved. Number three, show grace when you interact with the offended and not arrogance. Determine your value from God's investment in you and not what others think of you. Doing life with difficult people, pursue the right action on God's timetable and not simply when it's convenient. And finally, show grace when you interact with the offended and not arrogance. And this may be just like one of the most beautiful expressions of this in the scripture. And it's, no, it's not a surprise. It shouldn't surprise us that when her husband dies, David says, this is a woman I want to marry. Because of how she shows grace and interacts with the person that was offended. In fact, just let me read a portion of this in uh, verse 28. When she speaks to David, um, when she's presented all of this food and all these gifts, she says, please forgive the trespass of your servant. She's not said, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord, referring to David is fighting the battles of the Lord. I love this. She must have had some knowledge of the fact of what he had done, how he had won with Goliath and those kinds of things. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living and the care of the Lord your God. Now, that's a lot of words in one sentence at the end. And I struggle to say, what does this mean exactly? And then it occurred to me, that just imagine, how many of you have gotten something from Amazon over the Christmas holidays? Okay, great, great. How many of you have gotten something from Amazon or from some other shipping company that wasn't necessarily packaged very well? Can I see your hands? Yeah, okay. Okay, you didn't open it up and feel that it was protected. And you may not have thought about it this way, but you probably thought, did they not care what they were sending to me? Like, this thing's just rattling around in a box. Like, no wonder it's in pieces. But when we get something that is wonderfully, carefully packaged, it causes us to think that they wanted to take care of it. I don't know if you've ever purchased something that, you, you know, it kind of had like a nice fabric thing, and then you open that up, and then there was the box, and then you opened up the box, and there it was wrapped in something else. Like, you get the impression that they value what is there. And I think that's what Abigail is saying in this language. In fact, the New Living Translation renders it this way. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, Your life is safe in the care of the Lord, your God, secure in his treasure pouch. That is, you're valuable to God. You're wrapped up. You're protected. You're covered. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Now, just for a moment, can you appreciate this statement? Okay. What do you know about a stone shot from a sling? Yeah, that's something David used, right? He used it to bring down Goliath. David is familiar with that, and Abigail potentially was familiar too. But I love this. Your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God. Now, let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question. We have been reading from 1 Samuel chapter 25. Any idea what chapter comes before 
25? 24, that's right. And any idea what comes after 25? 26, that's right, okay. There are two things that are happening in 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26. Are you ready for this? King Saul is chasing David, hoping to kill him. And right in the middle of this, in fact, the more you think about it, the more you realize maybe this whole thing about Nabal and Abigail wasn't just a story, but it was God speaking through someone to remind David, David, I'll take care of your enemies. You don't have to. Because in both cases, David could take Saul's life secretly and people wouldn't have known. And he steps away and says, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. Even though Saul was trying to kill him. I love this. Your life is safe in the care of the Lord, your God. Just what's highlighted there in bold, can you say that with me? Your life is safe in the care of the Lord, your God. Your life is safe in the care of the Lord, your God. Regardless of what you hear today, that's worth coming for. If you're anxious, if you're struggling, if you say, I don't know what I'm going to do with life, Phil, you knew the difficult people I'd had to live with, you'd know why this message is for me, but it's impossible for me to do, okay? I'm just going to tell you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God. We are protected by God. And it's a great reminder, um, just here at the end of the passage. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. You know what she says? She says, listen, if you kill my husband, if you kill the other men that are with him, the shepherds, if you act in anger and do that, when you become king, you're going to be guilt-driven. She speaks such incredible truth, but she speaks it graciously. And then she just adds this thought. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. When, when Abigail speaks to David, she points back to Lord, capital L-O-R-D, and Lord, small L-O-R-D, to say, listen, there is a Lord who is protecting you, even though you are the king, prince of, of Israel, you are the prince of Israel, and you one day will be Lord and king. There is a Lord that is protecting you. Right? And by the way, she says, and I am a servant. In, in fact, just uh, note this with me. I am looking in my... Bible here, starting at verse 24. She fell at his feet, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant, there it is, down at the end of verse 24, your servant, starting verse 25, let not my Lord, down in verse, the end of 25, your servant, uh, did not see the young men of my Lord, verse 26, now then my Lord, down in verse 27, and now let this present that your servant has brought you. And then a little later, she says, follow my Lord. And then in verse 28, she says, um, please forgive the trespass of your servant. And a little later, she says, the Lord is your house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And, and then again, down in verse 29, she says, my Lord. And then up in verse 30, she says, my Lord. And then down in verse 31, she says, my Lord. And then down a little later, she says, my Lord. And she ends that. By saying, and when the Lord has dealt with my Lord, then remember your servant. This is the posture of humility, not arrogance. The next time you have a conflict in your home, because somebody there is difficult to live with, be it husband, wife, father, child, whatever it might be, 
Ask yourself if you're coming as a servant. Okay? Or are you coming as the Lord? Because Abigail, over and over and over again, addresses the offended as the servant, not as the one who is defensive. Well, I don't know about you, but this message had way too much application for my personal life. Okay. So I'm hoping I can share a little bit of the guilt with everybody else in the room. Okay. Let me just give you this one final thought to wrap it up. Remember how I said determine your value from God's investment in you? I just want you to ponder that in the world in which we live when it says think better about yourself, think more about yourself, love yourself more. Okay? What you and I should do is just stop and say, I am valuable because God has invested in me. And you say, well, I can't see where God's invested in me. Let me just make that really crystal clear. Romans eight thirty two, He who did not spare his own son, how shall he not freely give us all things? I have two sons. I love you guys. I'm not sure I'm giving up either one of them for you guys. That is the ultimate expression of love. You and I cannot say ever, when we look at the gospel, we can't say, God just doesn't see me as valuable. Determine your value from God's willingness to invest in you, even his own son. And if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a number of years, but you're struggling with that, just come back again and and rehearse. Man, I feel bad today, but I know this. God sent his own son for me. And if you're not yet a believer, then listen, this is Christmas, man. Learn to receive the gift that is offered to you freely. As many as believed in him, John 1, 14, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. Some 30 times in the Bible, in, in the Gospel of John, it uses the word believe. It never uses the word achieve. You do not satisfy God by achieving certain things. You simply come believing, and that's how you receive Christ, what he did for you. But ponder, were you with me as well? Not only that, but ponder your giftedness for just a moment. What has God equipped you to do that other people around you can't do. It doesn't even have to be a skill or gift. It, it can just be your interest. Maybe you just have an interest in people. Maybe you see people who are hurting. You're just drawn to them. Okay? That, that, that's great. Then, then use the way that God has gifted you in the people's lives that are around you. And finally, just one last thought. Would you remember with me that God has placed you in time? He has determined and invested to put you into this time. In the book of Esther, we read this wonderful little phrase. Her cousin says to her, listen, um, Esther, salvation may come from another, but who knows if you were appointed for such a time as this. May that be our application as well. Maybe we were appointed for such a time as this this. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning, uh, to be convicted by it, uh, to be comforted by it, to be reminded that you have wrapped us up in your care, and we find great comfort there. Lord, it's been a reminder of work that we have to do in our own lives, that we should find our value not in what others say or think, but we should find our value in your personal investment in us, that we can say we were bought with a price 
as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, so we can glorify God in our bodies because we know what it's like to be invested in by the creator of the universe. So thank you for that great hope this morning. Thank you for that reminder. Thank you for the charges that at this time of season, when it can be a little difficult to, to be patient and loving and kind, that when we're living with difficult people, we should just remember these truths learned from a woman who lived thousands of years ago, but lived them out so well. Help us do that this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.